Beloveds, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, and in liberation? What wisdom is there for us as white Christians in these pandemic times, the pandemic of COVID-19 and the centuries-long pandemic of white supremacy? I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap, pronouns she, her, hers. I'm a United Church of Christ minister, and I'm the faith coordinator for Showing Up for Racial Justice, or SURGE. I live in the place currently called Buffalo, New York, here in the homelands of the Haudenosaunee and Erie peoples. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith and is particularly designed for white Christians, white Christians talking to other white Christians about race and white supremacy. We believe white Christians like us, like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy where we find it, including in our own Christian tradition. And we do this work remembering we are building up a new world. This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. The word is resistance. It's February somehow, and we're already five weeks into the Epiphany season when we tell the stories of Jesus getting started with his organizing ministry. I know I am not the only one who feels like the past year since the pandemic started has been both time suspended and all rushing in upon itself all at once. It must be some combination of the sense of not moving because so many of us are staying at home or at least have had our regular going about our business routines seriously unsettled. And the urgency of the pandemic and the uprisings, the election, and just our brain's coping mechanisms because really it's too much to hold at once alone. Under stress including prolonged and even traumatic stress like this pandemic, our attention focuses down to what is necessary for survival, tuning out anything else. It's a great adaptive strategy if you're being chased by a lion, for example. It's why we don't know how much time has passed, why I look outside and I'm still sort of surprised it's winter, that there's snow on the ground, because we just started spring when we started isolating at home. This is a long time to hold this kind of stress. And I've been wondering what the long-term impact of this will be on us, what kind of care and healing we'll need to imagine to craft for us in the aftertimes. What healing is needed when your people have undergone trauma after trauma? It's an urgent question for us in this violent collapsing of empire and the utterly negligent response to the pandemic. It was an urgent question for Jesus, too. 
You can hear the urgency in this week's reading from the Gospel of Mark. This is chapter 1, verse 29 to 49. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening, at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up, and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. And Jesus answered, Let us go on to the neighboring town, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. only 28 whole verses into Mark's gospel when we pick it up with this week's reading. And already, John the Baptist has given his sermon and baptized Jesus. Jesus has gone off on a spiritual awakening in the wilderness for 40 days. John has been arrested by Herod. Jesus has called Simon and Andrew and James and John into the work to fish for their people. And he's taught in the synagogue and cast out a demon. All in 28 verses. Mark moves fast. As soon as they left the synagogue, Jesus keeps on with his work, healing people. Up to this point, that is the focus of his work. He has taught once in the synagogue, but it's the healing that has been the focal point of the story. Eventually, he'll start feeding people too, and he'll teach his co-workers, his organizers, how to do the same, how to heal and feed people. This is the urgent work when your people are poor and traumatized and live under the crushing boot of an empire that doesn't give a damn about you other than what you can produce to fill Roman bellies and Roman coffers and fund the swank mansions and fortresses the Herods keep building all over Judea and Galilee built off the sweat of your people's backs. So urgent, the need for healing for these beautiful bodies left hungry aching, and traumatized. Because we have to remember, Jesus' people revolted against Rome over and over. There were major revolts during the time of Jesus' grandparents, his parents, his own life, and the generation or two after his death until Rome crushed Jerusalem and the temple in 70 CE, which is around the time Mark's gospel was written. Mark knew His community knew about trauma, about imperial violence. 
And I've, I've talked about this before on this podcast, right? About the importance of remembering the violence that Jesus and his people lived through. Not only what was done to him, but to generations before and after. Galilee, Jesus' home region, and where he spends most of Mark's gospel, was one of the ground zero areas for that violence. The violence included Rome crushing rebellions Jewish people led fighting their oppression, which meant villages getting burned, people being massacred or enslaved, lead instigators being crucified as a deterrent for future rebellions. It included informants embedded in communities, making it hard to know who to trust. And it also included the daily erosion of well-being in the form of tribute paid to Rome, portions of their crops and goods such as oil and textiles that they themselves could not eat or sell or trade because they're sent to Rome. Their labor and the fruits of their labor extracted and sent away to keep the Roman peace. Tribute and taxes kept the people poor and malnourished. And malnourished bodies? Well, it's harder to fight off illness, to fight off infection, when your body is malnourished. And we can ask, what kind of health care was accessible to these Galileans? Poor, their needs unimportant to Rome, Rome healing sites being far away, dedicated to deities Jewish folks aren't interested in worshiping anyway, their own access to local remedies limited by tribute and tax and time. Under these conditions, bodies suffer. Mental health suffers. So let's remember the healing work here has political dimensions because of the impact of Rome's violence on people's physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual health. Mark makes this clear in the first healing right before today's text where Jesus rebukes a demon and heals a man who comes to the synagogue. Rebukes, traced back to the Hebrew, is a verb used for how God defeated or subdued the foreign enemies of Israel, such as, say, Babylon. Well, thanks to scholar Richard Horsley for that detail. And we also remember the story that comes in Mark chapter 5 of the Gerasene demoniac in which the demons are named legion and are clearly meant to signify the Roman legions that have caused the Jewish people so much suffering. See my 2019 episode, Getting Liberated from Legion, for more on that. So in Mark's gospel itself, healing is given this political connection. Their illness, their dis-ease, is not without context. The people's suffering is directly tied to the oppression from Rome they lived under. There's something so very poignant to me, something so aching and dear about this bit of Mark's gospel, the intimacy 
of Jesus holding the hand of Simon's mother-in-law. The rushing energy of the whole city flocking to him at the end of the workday, pouring out the door into the street, longing for healing, for some relief. Jesus praying on his own at dawn until his friends finally come looking for him, their urgency expressed in the verb to hunt. And Jesus ready to go, to keep going. He's got a message, good news he can't wait to share. Now, maybe the whole city coming for healing is an exaggeration, but here's its point. A whole heck of a lot of people were ready for what Jesus was offering, ready for his message, if you will. And what's that message? This is the first time in Mark that message is mentioned. Though early in the chapter, it says, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Maybe that doesn't clear things up so much, really, because then I want to know, but what's the good news of God anyway? I think the key is what Jesus does next. First, he calls in some co-workers, and then he starts healing people. And they are so ready for healing. Simon takes Jesus to his mother-in-law at once. The people are streaming into the house. They're still looking for Jesus the next day. If we keep going and mark, people are still flocking to him from everywhere, breaking through the roof of a house to get someone to him, in one case. The people are so ready for healing, so ready to get Rome off their back, out of their heads, out of their bodies. That has to be part of the good news, the message. There is healing to be had, even here, even now. And that healing, that political healing, is necessary, a priority even. It's literally the first thing Jesus does, is release someone from Rome's domination. And that's really my point for this episode, the utter priority for healing all the ways that Rome has messed us up even in the midst of Rome's violence. Assuring people have access to healing, which is what going to their homes and gathering places means, what organizing other people to do the same work means, that as many people can have access to healing as possible. The kingdom of God has come near, right here, this close, as close as the touch of a hand as the press of bodies gathering, as kind words that help you feel seen and free at last. Believe, as in trust, this good news. There is healing available for you. If you're thinking about the pandemic and the totally negligent response to it, well, me too. If we lived in a system that cared about us, all of us, we would have been given all we need to be as safe as possible 
including for as many of us to stay home as possible for as long as it took for this virus to find nowhere to hide and die. We have the resources to do that. But that's not what we did. No, we're fighting over whether it should be a $2,000 check or $600 or $1,400. And the truth is, none of that is remotely sufficient. And so many people still don't have healthcare access. And wealthy people are going to poor neighborhoods to get vaccines not meant for them. And people in prison and immigrant detention have no medical care and are not priority for vaccines. And billionaires keep making billions while untold numbers of people have lost jobs. And black, indigenous, and people of color are dying at immensely higher rates than white people. All in order to be sure that their labor and the fruits of their labor are extracted and sent away to keep the Roman peace. Which is to say, the economy. And black people are still being killed by police with impunity. And immigrants and asylum seekers are still being deported. And pipelines are still being built on indigenous land. And... And, and, what are we to make of Jesus coming into the middle of all that and taking our hand in the midst of our fever? Maybe we can just stay there a moment. In the midst of all of this, all of everything, Jesus comes and takes our hand, eases our fever. Just be there for a moment. What do you feel in your body? What we are offered here in these stories is how we can be with each other like Jesus was for so many and taught his organizers to be for so many others to hold each other's hands and help one another to heal the kingdom of God come near in these times when it's clear this racist capitalist system does not care about us we can do this for one another. And that's good news. My guess is, if you're listening to this podcast, you've already found ways to contribute to some kind of healing work in your part of your world during this pandemic, and maybe even before. Maybe you're helping make sure neighbors get fed, that folks have their medicines and other needs. Maybe you're figuring out how to love on all the kids. Maybe you've helped to build a mutual aid network in your town. Here's a hint. I think part of what Jesus was doing was building a mutual aid network. I put some links in the transcript about that for you. Maybe you've shoveled snow for the elder on your block or someone recovering from COVID. 
Maybe you've given money so someone has access to care, like mental health care or getting a COVID test. Maybe you're getting therapy for yourself. Maybe you've passed out masks to folks. Maybe you're an herbalist or a Western medical care provider or a therapist and you've offered services for free or low cost. Maybe you've organized for canceling rent so people aren't thrown out on the street. Maybe you can add even more things to this list. All these things and so many more are ways we can hold each other's hands in these feverish times to help us find healing, to help us strengthen community, to help us actually build a whole new world. All I want to say is, keep it up. I feel you. I see you. Thank you. Thanks, as always, for joining me from wherever you are on this good earth. We'd love to hear from you all by commenting on our SoundCloud or Twitter or Facebook pages or filling out the listener survey on our podcast page at showingupforracialjustice.org. And we'd love to hear from you about how we're doing, especially from folks of color and non-Christian folks who may be checking us out. Next week, we'll have a resistance word from Jean Jeffress. One last thing. We're doing amazing work at Surge in 2021, and we need y'all's help. If you love this podcast, if you're committed to getting white folks on board for dismantling white supremacy, please make a donation to Surge. We split every donation with a movement partner doing incredible work. This month, that partner is the amazing and wonderful organization Jews for Racial and Economic Justice. You can donate online at... uh, bit.ly, the B-I-T dot L-Y slash Surge, all capital letters. Or look for the link on our podcast page. Thanks for helping support this podcast and for organizing white people to show up for racial justice and the new world we're building together. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org and our podcast lives on SoundCloud. Search on The Word is Resistance. Give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to our podcast. Transcripts are available as well on our website, which include references, resources, and action links. Finally, a huge thanks, as always, to our sound editor, Max Pearl. Blessings to you in all that you do to resist injustice and in all that you do to build up a new world. Love and liberation, beloveds. Love and liberation. Until next time, I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap.